0: It's time to unlap. Max Verstappen won his third straight driver's championship after the sprint and guitar. We've got a week of downtime before heading to Austin, Texas. And the gang is back together. Katie George, Lawrence Edmondson is back from holiday. Nate Saunders returns from the Middle East. Lawrence, your time in Japan well spent.
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, I love that place. Uh, So I, yeah, after the Japanese Grand Prix, which it's always a fantastic event to attend. Uh yeah, I took a little bit of time to travel around and got back to London just in time to help out Nate, who was on
2: the ground in Qatar.
0: How was it on the ground in Qatar other than hot as hell, which we will certainly get into?
2: Well, hot as hell was going to be my first answer. Um <laughs> it was it was interesting, actually. I'd not been to Qatar before. Um and it was quite a memorable weekend, actually, in you know, for a lot of reasons. Obviously, we had the all the heat uh, on the Sunday, we had Max winning a championship on a Saturday, which was kind of weird. And the, you know, the, the weekend kind of felt weird as a result of that afterwards. Um, yeah, quite interesting. And getting to see the facility there, um, you know, a lot of hype from F1 about that facility. And we can talk a bit about it. I wasn't, wasn't enamored by the place, um, okay. but, um, but I mean, yeah, a lot of things to, to get into uh, with it and it made me more excited for Austin. That's all I'll say, because you, you know how much I love Austin. We all love Austin. Um, so yeah, full speed ahead.
0: Well, remember if you're watching on YouTube, like this video, leave us a comment, and don't forget to subscribe to ESPN for more F1 content. And if you're listening, hit us with a five star review wherever you get your podcast. All right, let's dive right into our Qatar Grand Prix reaction. It was the second Qatar Grand Prix. Uh, Lawrence, you went in 2021, correct?
1: That is correct. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. Obviously, we didn't have it last year because of the World Cup. Nate, you got on the ground for the first time this time around, where Max Verstappen won his 14th race of the year. He also, as you guys know, clinched his third straight driver's championship after Checo was forced to retire from the sprint. Uh, More on Checo and Red Bull in its entirety. But the story of the race was the conditions that the drivers were forced to race in. And I would just start, Nate, with this. Do you feel like F1 pushed the limits a little bit too far for making drivers race in conditions that they deemed were pretty extraneous?
2: I think in hindsight, it's very easy to say that. Um, but I, I do have to say, I've seen a lot of this reaction on social media, you know, from fans saying, you know, how could everyone let their drivers race in that, in those conditions? And I've got to say, having been there Friday, Saturday, it was clearly very warm. I mean, I'm someone that, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't deal well with, you know, moderately, <laughs> moderately warm temperatures. So I was struggling, <laughs> but obviously when they're, when they're, uh, formula one athletes, you know, you, you kind of. I think because they race in Singapore as well, there's an there's an expectation of well these guys you know these guys train for exactly this, and I think had had we heard on Saturday huge concerns from drivers that it was too hot that they were worried about passing out in the race, I think that it would have really been a question going into the race, but really. And maybe this is because we're all focused on max. Maybe it's because we had all the things going on around the uh, the maximum stint lengths with the tires, which obviously dictates it to be a three-stop race. But the heat really wasn't a talking point on Saturday. It was only during the race on Sunday that I think drivers found out how bad it was. Um, mm-hmm. And that actually was probably a perfect storm of things. You know, you had the heat as it was. And I've got to say, that Sunday, driving into the circuit, I mean, uh, that day I went with two other journalists into Doha, to the souk, and it was dead there was nobody there and we asked a few people why and they said well it's just too hot today so it was too hot for locals to go out you know they they felt like it was too hot I think it was one of the hottest days they'd had in October for a long time obviously the race happens when the sun's gone down um but it wasn't on on paper it wasn't that bad I mean it wasn't like you know you looked at it and said that this is crazy but it was more the humidity um but I think that what really caused things to to go over the edge was the fact that because the drivers were basically put into a situation where they had to stop at least three times They were pushing and pushing and pushing in a way they wouldn't otherwise have been. Um, That combined with the heat, probably, and combined with the nature of the circuit as well—you know, very, very high-speed circuit. Uh, You know, a lot of—I think if you look at Singapore, there's a lot of places where they're still driving in heat, but you know, it's not as physically maybe um, uh, as, as as challenging for them as Qatar would have been. So I don't know whether they pushed the limit. I mean, it's definitely it's definitely a good talking point for us to get into because clearly safety was was not safety was an issue at the end you know you had Albon unable to get out of the car I think Lance Stroll got out of his car and sat down next to one of the uh, the ambulances that was there I saw a journalist had a photo of that afterwards obviously Logan Sargent retired from the race um so clearly an issue but I think that it was something that wasn't foreseen ahead of time so I think that from that perspective it wasn't pushing the limits too far but I do think that it shows you sometimes there's unintended consequences from things so in this case Because you've added all of these extra stints, because, you know, it's a circuit we're coming back to for the first time in a while, it had unseasonably hot temperatures. I think all those things came together in in a very, very dangerous way. I mean, if you read Stroll's comments, I mean, he said he was basically blacking out in the final corner, which is, which is crazy. Um, And what is, and I do have to say as well, and this isn't me blaming the drivers at all, but I think if, if, if Lance or any of the drivers had been saying that on the radio during the race, like, guys, I'm about to black out in the car, stuff like this, I think the FIA might have, stepped in and said well do you know do we do we do we throw a caution here do we put a safety car do we red flag it but because we heard about it afterwards obviously we can only talk about it in hindsight and when sergeant retired from the car i think the fa was already aware that he had been feeling he hadn't been feeling well that week so it was very easy to see sergeant pulling out the race and saying well it's yeah. hot and yeah and it's it's on top of him feeling bad already so i don't know i feel like i feel like the fa got you know some harsh criticism for that this week because being there genuinely on the Saturday, none of us... We're all saying it's it's hot, isn't it? I mean, we went... There was a
0: difference the, between Saturday and, and Sunday? You could feel the difference?
2: Yeah, there was. And by, by the time... I mean, I didn't... Usually you go to the grid on the Sunday um, mm-hmm. and I didn't go. I mean, I walked outside and it was so hot. It was, it was, you know, it was noticeably different to the sprint race before the sprint race had been. And it was just because there wasn't any air. You know, there'd, there'd been a lighter breeze on the Saturday and that wasn't there on Sunday. So I think with that in mind, you know, maybe... Maybe somebody could, have but again, at the same time, I'm not sure if anyone in formula one is gonna, I think it's different when they turn around and say, Oh, it's too wet today to race. I think that's kind of seen as acceptable, but I think a driver turning around and saying, Oh, I think it's a bit too hot today. Actually. I don't know whether we'd have got that before a race. So maybe that's worth looking at maybe. And I thought it was actually full credit to Williams for telling Sergeant during the race, like, no mate, if you need to retire, retire rather than carry on. And it was actually Sergeant who was like, you yeah, obviously with the situation he's in. Um trying to continue. So I don't know what the perfect answer is, but I think um it was it was it was over the limit, but I don't think Formula One or the FA pushed it too far because I don't think I think I think it would have been different had it been obvious going into the race what the situation no. was. And um and so yeah, I, I yeah so I, I totally get the you know the um the question on it but I think um it was just a bit unlucky to be honest with you and I'm just glad and a bit lucky that nobody came out of it worse than than we saw uh on the Sunday.
0: Speaks to, I think, their strength and resiliency that we didn't hear about this until after the race that they all kind of persevered and pushed through it. Obviously, you mentioned Logan Sargent having to retire, but Lawrence, what did you make of it? Just the comments that you heard after guys were getting out of the cars.
1: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it was absolutely on the limit, I think, you know, afterwards. And I think Nate's absolutely right. You know, that there, there wasn't any talk about it really going into the race. Uh, the ambient temperature was 31 degrees, according to the FIAs or F1s. Uh, temperature readouts and that's not unusual we've raced in higher temperatures than that we've raced in high temperatures than that uh, in the daytime as well when you've got you know the the sun beating down so it didn't yeah i have to say you know even from where i was sat in london which was quite a bit cooler um it didn't feel like it was a danger going into the race but that doesn't mean that having seen what we've seen and heard what we've heard and finding out that ocon threw up in his helmet Mm -hmm. on lap 15 16 um it doesn't mean that the FIA then shouldn't look into. Wait a minute. What mm-hmm. can we learn from this? How can we make it safer in the future? Because if it, you know, if it was the case, and I have, I have no doubt for, for Lance Stroll that he was, um, you know, his vision was going blurry in uh, in the final few corners towards the end of the race. Um, that is a very very serious um, safety issue. Uh, and in the same way that when the drivers start to aquaplane in the wet whereby they have no control over their car anymore because the tire tread of, of of the tires is just full of water and the tire is essentially floating on top of it. Uh, then we inevitably have a red flag or ideally you have a red flag before you get to that point. Well the same should be true of, of conditions that and I guess it is it is a tricky thing to to determine because uh Nate's absolutely right as well other tracks i think it would have been fine you know slower tracks uh but qatar is fast corner after fast corner after fast corner and when you're dealing with things like uh, a lowered blood pressure um a lapse of concentration i remember talking to a doctor about racing in singapore a few years ago and he was saying that um if if your body weight loss through basically you know sweating drops yeah. 1.5 to 2 percent uh beyond that you start to lose cognitive ability so you know fighter jet pilots have the same thing once you get to a certain point there is a you know it starts to get a little bit dangerous and then once you get to four to five percent uh lo- lo- loss of body weight through uh, sweating and basically uh, dehydration um that's when you start to hit an actual danger point where you know you can you know just completely l- lose your normal ability to to uh to, to function and to deal with what is going on around you and when that's happening at 160 170 180 miles per hour And the cockpit temperatures, which we've never had, I don't think they've ever actually been monitored. If they have, we haven't had the temperatures put out publicly. But the drivers, uh, after Sunday's race, were saying anywhere between 50 degrees centigrade and 80 degrees centigrade, uh, 80 might be a bit of a push. Now, to put that into Fahrenheit, I did some maths earlier in preempting that uh, we're mainly American audience here, and that's 122 Fahrenheit to 176 Fahrenheit, which, you know, I mean, that is an unbelievable... That's outrageous, isn't it? That's yeah, unbelievable. an unbelievable heat to deal with. So if you've got that going on in the cockpit, um, you know, uh, again, you know, th- there's all sorts of uh, things There's heat stress, you know, we- we've all had it where you spent too long on the beach and you get, you know, you start to feel a headache, you start to feel sick, uh, things like that. Well, you know, that can go on in the cockpit of the car. And then of course that becomes uh, very dangerous as well. So, there's absolutely lessons to be learned from this. And uh, mm-hmm. to give credit to the FIA, that is what they're looking into. They're doing research, I guess, in the same way as, you know, when we've had horrible accidents in Formula One, uh, in fact, any accident in Formula One, uh, at the FIA look at how they can make the car safer from the lessons they learn from it. So the same thing is happening. How can they improve airflow through the cockpit? We saw drivers trying to literally channel air towards their Towards their helmet and their and their body with their hands whilst going down the straight at two hundred miles per hour. Clearly, that's not a situation that we should ever see uh, in in a motor race. And you know, I'm sure you can count to you know points of countless historical examples where races have taken place in you know ridiculous heat and all the rest of it. You know, and 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 so on. But you know, we do also live in a world now where this is this is a motor race. You know, and we don't want to put them anyone in any uh an undue risk you know it's essentially entertainment it's a sport it it doesn't they don't need to prove themselves to this level i don't think uh for, for f1 to um you know to consider itself a, a proper sport or something ridiculous like that you know it, it should be about safety so i think the FIA are doing the right things and yeah and we'll have to see what after some careful research uh talking to people far more intelligent than myself uh you know doctors with medical background ab- about what really is safe what isn't and how these, um, yeah, as, as Nate said, you get these perfect storms of of environments which become become dangerous. Uh, mm-hmm. Once we get an understanding of
2: that, there'll be changes. Yeah, and just um, just to to add a bit more colour to people that that weren't there, um, one thing that was amazing. I mean, talking to the drivers after the race, I mean, Liam Lawson looked like he'd just been in a sauna for about five days. Stroll basically walked in to the media set to the media pen, and you could see, you know, when someone's kind of Staggering, maybe after been at a club for you know one too many beers, he came in like that. But you could see in his eyes, he you know he was, he really was struggling to just you know to just kind of and then you know hunched over the the barrier when he was talking to people. I mean, Yuki Sonoda said, and Lawrence is right. You know, drivers were doing anything they could to get air in. You know, into the, airflow it was into their body. Wild to see. When he was opening his visor, he said he was getting a face full of sand. So it was like I either I've I've got the option here of either keeping the visor down, and no sand but being too hot, or opening the visor getting a bit of air in, but also get, you know, sand all over into the eyes. I think some of the drivers said they they couldn't drink their water, obviously, because as, as as mentioned, with the cockpits being so hot, they were basically just drinking boiling tea at that point. You know, it wasn't, and and, and that obviously then aids the, the dehydration. So there are, in, in in those instances, there's a lot of things the FAA can look at. And I think that um, it was suggested that some of the drivers, I forget which helmet manufacturer, but I think, I think it was the guys with the Bell helmets, felt that the circulation of the air wasn't as good as it could have been so i think some of the drivers could go to the guys that make their helmets and say look this actually could be better here i think yuki said that um and i might be wrong on on who provides uh who 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 is who makes his helmet but like Lawrence said lots of things that can come out of that um and what and and something that's worth noting is that next year we shouldn't have this issue again the race is december the first next year in qatar um and that's actually that's actually, I think, the biggest learning from this that you that you can take out of it is that I think there was there was some confusion on the Qatar side um, when they saw that this race was where it was in this year's calendar. They looked, you know, towards the end and they said, "Well, okay, we're not down there." Looked a bit further up and they f- suddenly see themselves in October. And I think that promoters of that race were a bit skeptical about the date of it, having you know spoken to people on Sunday evening. And I think that that sometimes is telling. I think. Promoters probably need to be a bit more vocal about that, but also Formula One, needs. To, this is the problem with organizing such a big calendar. Sometimes you're putting races in places where it's too hot. I mean, Vegas is maybe going to be the opposite of that. We're racing late no- November. It's going to be freezing in in Vegas, and that has just been put there because that's the ideal place for it on the calendar in Formula One's mind. So the, the formation of the calendar as well is something that I really think Formula One needs to take a step back from and have a look at. Because if you're forcing races to happen, because you need it to happen in October or whenever it is, then I think you you open the door to these kind of possibilities. That definitely is something that he's looking at.
0: Yeah. with well, Vegas being an example, you can't have Vegas in the summer months because you're talking about 120 degrees Fahrenheit in terms yeah. of outdoor temperatures. And then you put these guys on track, you're going to have a very similar situation to Qatar. So Definitely worth noting that it's not the same part of the calendar next season. Hopefully they learn a great deal from it moving forward, but it was certainly a sight to see.
1: Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza, better because it has to be.
0: Like we mentioned, Max Verstappen wins his 14th race of the season. Oscar Piastri finished second. Lando Norris rounded out the podium in third. But it was just a, a typical dominant performance from Max all weekend long. He's one win away, Lawrence, from tying his own record of most wins in an F1 season. Race after race, I feel like we've learned that no matter who he's going against, no matter what track he's on, he just is dominant. It doesn't seem to matter. He's been incredible all season long. And I know we've, we've talked about it throughout the season as we've gotten to this point, but just put a bow on it for us in terms of locking up this championship so early and on a Saturday.
1: Well, it is exceptional as you mentioned. Fourteen wins so far. Um, last year he set a new record of fifteen. You know, before that I think it was thirteen. So the fact that he's fourteen with five races left to run, he could end up winning, you know, nineteen races this year, which um, is basically what Mercedes did at the height of their um, of their power as a team, uh, not as a single driver. So um, yeah, it's it, it is remarkable and look, it is fully deserved. And it was a funny situation because we knew going into Qatar that almost certainly max would be crowned mm-hmm. champion uh that weekend and there something very strange happened and then it happened in the sprint race and yeah i, I don't know i mean nate would be able to speak to this at being on the ground but it, it did seem a bit odd that you know there was still a race to run the day after his 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 celebrations on the saturday night but um you know i i think what, what more can we say about about this season of max Verstappen? it's just been on an on another level and I think already we're hearing from Max himself and and from Red Bull certainly that they're not expecting it to be the same uh, next year and going forward now I think a little bit of that is you know they don't want to sound arrogant, they don't want to kind of uh, set themselves up for a fool. But, but equally, it, it is very unlikely that this kind of thing happens again. You know, th- this level of domination, it requires so much to come together. And, and of course, then that one person in the cockpit to make the most of it. And that's what Max has done so, so well. Uh, and while we had, you know, um, all this stuff, chaos going on behind and, um, you know, wheel to wheel racing drivers taking each other out in Mercedes, uh, drivers vomiting in their helmets. Max, um, who, by his own admission, does not consider himself the fittest driver on the grid, uh, was just kind of never really in doubt of of a victory. So, um, yeah, it's it's another level. Uh, So appreciate it while it's here. And then um, I think most of us are hoping, apart from hardcore Max Verstappen fans, that at least we see a bit more competition. We see him pushed in slightly different ways uh, next year.
0: What was it like seeing it wrapped up on a Saturday and then obviously the celebration that was and then getting ready for a Grand Prix the next day?
2: It was very strange. Um, and I think because of everything that followed on Sunday, it didn't feel like the wind had come out of it completely uh, by the end of it. But it was strange because you got to Saturday and poor Oscar Piastri, first of all, you know, wins the sprint race, superb performance. He gets out of the car and it's like, Max, you've you won the championship. Yeah. So, you know, and I, I don't think, you know, I don't think we're too upset about that, but I did, I did feel at the end. I was like, it kind of, it was a weird one, right? Because you've got Max winning the championship by not winning the sprint. So not only have you taken focus away from the Grand Prix, but I feel like you've also kind of ruined the sprint race because the outcome of the sprint race, wasn't what you were talking about by the end of the day, if you know what I mean, you know, Piastri wins a sprint race. It's about Max going to the race. Max has already won the championship. It just felt weird to me. And I think that, you know, I think I'm I'm in, in, in principle, I'm a fan of the sprint, but I think this was an example of, you know, where it really is maybe not great, you know. If you can win the race away from uh, win the championship away from um, from a Grand Prix itself, because you know, if you if you tuned into the race on Sunday, it was like, well, Max won the championship <laughs> yesterday. It was like watching a you know the Super Bowl and being like, well, actually, the Chiefs won this yesterday, but they're playing the Super Bowl anyway. You know, just because you'd be like, okay, that's a bit strange. It maybe maybe not a great comparison, but you know, I always like to throw in an NFL reference when I can. Um, but I, I think it was what was really telling about it from a Verstappen point of view was that. Verstappen, he's just, he, he's his personality, his, his character, he's like a robot, you know, and I mean that, I don't mean that in a negative way at all, you know, he won the race, he got out of the car, and he said, yeah, you know, really happy to have won, he was already talking about winning the race tomorrow, you know, and he was kind of, he was very, he was just very open about everything, you know, people said, do you think you can match Schumacher and Hamilton 7 or surpass that? And he, he said, honestly, I don't know. You know, I don't think if he said, I'm just enjoying this moment now because you don't know how long this will last for. And I, you do get the sense with Max that he's just taking it all in at the moment and just enjoying it while he can. Because Lawrence is absolutely right. You know, I think that other teams are kind of starting to, starting to feel that maybe by the end of next year they can they can be in the mix. I actually think that Max, out of all people, wants that a little bit to be to be the case. Again, I think he's enjoying this right now. Um, but he's been dominant this year and he said, this has been his favorite season so far, but I think that deep down he wants to be racing people on track and beating them, you know, in the fights that he had with Lewis in 2021. I think any driver would want that. Um, but it was odd, and I've got I've got to say as well, it was it was a great moment um, in the press conference afterwards. When I think a few journalists were trying to get Max to admit that he was basically going to go out and just and just have a load of beers at the hotel afterwards, because they kept asking him, "What are you going to do to celebrate? What are you going to do celebrate?" And he kept laughing. He was like, "Guys, I'm going to be here tomorrow. I'm going to have a sparkling water tonight." And then you know, I don't think he's the biggest drinker either, Max. So I, <laughs> I don't know whether people were trying to get some some you know big story out of him, like, "Oh yeah, we'll see if I'm in the, in, in a shape to drive tomorrow." Uh, but I think it speaks to Verstappen and his professionalism, and also. So his focus that he turned up, and I think actually, you know, if anything, he was he was even even more focused on that Sunday than he than he may otherwise have been. Um, yeah, just and remarkable to to see it. And um, I managed to get one of the Max Verstappen three time world champion hats as well. So from a personal perspective, it was the first time I've ever done that. So um, yeah, if you ever see one of those lying around Lawrence in in Austin, you got to grab it. <laughs> there, there might be some left. I don't know, but um, yeah, it was very cool to see. And um, I don't know, I don't know what fans thought of it going the way it did but being there you definitely felt that um it was odd and obviously it adds to this kind of run of I quite like the quirkiness of Verstappen's championships obviously 2021 Michael Massey maybe maybe quirky is the wrong word there but different and controversial 2022 crosses the line in Japan we don't know he's champion for a bit there's also been all the cost cap stuff and then 2023 he wins it on a Saturday it's like there's always there's always something different and unique about each one each time he wraps up the championships which i think is great he doesn't care about any of that he was asked all these questions and he was just like i don't care i've won the championship but he did say it was his favorite one of the three which i think is quite telling of how good he's been and how good he feels in the car in the situation right now as well
0: well it was it was a given i mean early on in the season you knew that it was just inevitable it was a matter of of when not if and i think it's interesting too because all types of competitors they want to be pushed and he hasn't been all that pushed especially by his teammate, Checo Perez, this season um, and Helmut Marco is back making waves per usual. Um, it was a tough sprint race, certainly in Grand Prix for Checo. And Marco seemed to warn that Checo's seat is in his own hands for 2024, but indicated that Alphatari having three strong drivers is certainly turning the heat up a notch. Uh, I know that we've talked about this at length as well on on Lapped, but you know, with five races remaining, Lawrence, what does Checo need to do to kind of ease the nerves of the Red Bull team moving forward into next season?
1: Um, I think he has to finish uh, second in the championship, and actually, that's looking under threat. Um, he got a little bit lucky in Qatar that Lewis uh, yeah. crashed into George because. I think Lewis is 30 points behind now, um, and he's in the last three races, he's made up 25 points on Checo. So if you plot that graph continuously uh, over the next five races, Lewis will end up ahead of him. Now, of course, Checo has the car. I believe within him, he has absolutely the ability to close out that second place in the championship, but it's not guaranteed. And um, for Red Bull, it seems to be quite a big thing because, uh, bizarrely, as, as dominant as Red Bull has been over the years, they've never had... Uh, one driver finished first and the other driver finished second and win the Constructors' Championship, of course. Um, so th- they've never been able to kind of get that almost perfect season. Now, you don't gain anything for doing that. It's not like you get any more prize money or anything like that. But I think it is something that they want. And it's also an indicator going into next year. Again, as I mentioned, they seem uh, pretty convinced that they won't have the advantage they've had this year. And if they don't, uh, then the prospect of... of Say, um, Lewis and George and Carlos and Charlotte, Ferrari, um scoring points together to push those teams up the Constructors' Championship. Then Red Bull, okay, it seems absurd now because they're so far ahead, but if the gap does close, then Red Bull will start to worry about whether they can win uh, the Constructors' Championship because Checo is performing so far off max. And, um, yes, Helmut Marco uh, made those comments, which, um, you know, kind of been doing the rounds. Uh, but also, Christian Horner made reference to the fact that um, all the all the rival teams seem to have these two drivers capable of being at the same, you know, at the same level and challenging for the same things, and Red Bull don't. And he didn't go any further than that. And he didn't say that Checo's seat is under threat. In fact, he kind of said the opposite. You know, he said that they're they're standing by him for 2024. But um, but you do have to start to wonder. So I think if if he loses that second place in the championship. Uh, to Lewis um or Fernando who's kind of in it but the car doesn't look very competitive right now. But yeah, if he loses it to Lewis, uh, I, I think um yeah, I think then he's gonna be a little bit uncertain going into the winter because Red Bull have Liam Lawson who they really want to put back in a car at some point. They have done Buki Sonoda, all, all in Alpha Towery slash Red Bull reserve pool. It's not that difficult for them to start swapping drivers around. Um so yeah, he's he's just got to got to start doing what um what he can do and what that car is capable of doing
2: and it was it was quite telling on sunday in the evening um horner did he did two different press sessions obviously the one on saturday for max and by sunday i think he was fed up of talking about max so we talked a lot about perez um but he was asked at one point you know flat out you know what's the assessment on lawson bin he was like yeah he's you know he's been really impressive. Have been you know really really pleased to see what he can do. Then was asked, "Is it his last race in Formula One?" And he said, "Absolutely not. You know this. There's that there, he'll absolutely be back." So I think that that situation Lawrence alludes to is is actually pretty important there. I think Red Bull know if they have to make that change, they've kind of got it like lined up. If they need to make it, you can just push push Ricardo up. You can push Lawson up. You know who knows what happens to Perez then. But I think that yeah, that is clearly front of mind for them now. Um, and it's Red Bull. So you wouldn't bet against it happening and the fact that i mean i don't know i don't know whether helmet marco just has a few journalists on retainer who he just <laughs> kind of kind of goes up to and says i'm just going to say something really outrageous to you now about perez um although this wasn't the most outrageous thing he said about perez but it just he always says something that you know makes headlines the following week um i think yeah i think the the, the way horner spoke about perez was at uh, this race was different to how he's spoken about him before it wasn't it wasn't we're fed up with the guy but it was clear every time he spoke, he said, we're desperate for him. I think he kept using the word desperate. He said, you know, the team is desperate for him to get better. You don't usually hear Christian say things like that about the drug, you know, about, about a driver. So that was quite telling. And it was quite noticeable that every time Christian's quite good at the, the political responses, I think it would make a really good politician whenever he you know steps away. Um, but he was, he would keep coming back to that same point. You know, the team really needs him. You know, he's, he's letting the team down at this point. And we haven't he, he, just the way he was saying it. I, I hadn't heard before. And that, that did leave an impression when I when I was walking out of his session because, you know, Perez himself working with a psychologist now clearly is in a position where he needs he knows the situation he's in, um, and you just feel and this is the thing: if the next two races, if he can't if he can't sort it sort it out in Austin and Mexico, you know, if that isn't enough of a motivation to mm. to you know if if being in in being in Austin where obviously he's super popular and then being in Mexico City his home race, if he comes out of those two and hasn't turned the form around, you, it's fair to ask yourself. Is he ever going to do it? Because those two, you know, there is pressure there as well, but the familiarity of those two places, the support, etc., if he can't come out of those two races on top, I think Red will look at it and say, well, you know, is he ever gonna is he ever gonna be the pair as we know? And I think that'd be a fair question by that point. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armor All products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. Armor All. Less work, more clean. Terms apply.
0: Well, Red Bull had the luxury of not necessarily needing his points in production because Max Verstappen, as we mentioned, was so dominant all year long. But next year, they might need that production, especially with McLaren, I think is a a fair contender to kind of point to based on the progress that they've made. We mentioned that they finished with a double podium in Qatar. This time, Oscar Piastri was sitting on the second step, and he obviously finished the sprint atop, even though that got overshadowed by Max Verstappen winning the Drivers' Championship. But, you know, how strong they've been recently, Lawrence. Do we see McLaren really challenging Red Bull in 2024?
1: Yeah, I think, I think we do, um, which is perhaps surprising compared to where we thought they'd be at the start mm-hmm. of the year. But um, I wouldn't say they're the lone challenger now and it's all on them because I think, you know, the position that they're up, well, you know, there's some races we don't have to go too far back that Singapore, you know, Ferrari beat, McLaren it is still circuit to circuit but you do have this group now and um where at the start of the year Aston Martin was kind of leading that group behind Red Bull it now seems that McLaren is so they've clearly got a very good uh platform to to build on from from now into next year which is which is very positive because the likes of Mercedes and Ferrari are going to make some big design changes mm-hmm. over o- over the winter because they know they need to um uh to kind of you know, do something quite different to close that gap to Red Bull. Uh, whereas McLaren have have the basis they have now, and assuming that there's all big gains to be found in in the philosophies that they've gone down and and the design direction they've gone down, then uh, that's good as well. And I think it's probably a, a safer place to start from if you're going into into next year. So, absolutely, I, I think they're there, and we've seen now from both drivers. Um, uh, Lando Norris was talking on Sunday night about how really he should have won uh, the Grand Prix in Qatar had it not been for a mistake in qualifying that, um, well, he twice broke track limits and therefore started 10th. And, you know, I think he felt that had he'd start it at the front of the grid, um, I think he still believes that his race pace is actually quite superior to Piastri. And there is, you know, quite a lot that backs that up over, over recent races, hardly surprising considering how long Norris has been in F1 compared to Piastri. But, um, you know, I think, uh, yeah, given the right kind of, uh, the right car and the ability to challenge at the front, uh, nor- Norris can definitely do it, and Piastri is only going to get stronger. Uh, he's got that raw, absolute talent. You know, we've seen that in the last few races, and sure, there's a few things which he can refine and get up to Norris's level. But Norris's level is incredibly high, so the fact that he's, you know, beating him as he did uh, in in Qatar is is something pretty special in a rookie year. So um, yeah, I, I think they're absolutely a challenger uh, for next year, and um, that is, you know, that is very good news. Of course, the other side to all this is just what kind of step Red Bull makes because we know um, the development on this year's car, the RB19, has been slightly limited because they've had to put a lot of their resources and wind tunnel time, which was restricted because of the penalty they have for breaking the cost cap in 2021, and uh, and also because they are the lead team, they have they have less wind tunnel time. So they've had to be very careful about where they where they put that to make sure that next year they make a similar step. So um, yeah, of course it's all relative to what Red Bull do at the front, but absolutely, McLaren should be one of the teams, um, you know, close to or or in the in the group behind them
0: especially if their pit crew continues to operate as fast as they did in Qatar. Just a quick shout out to McLaren's pit wall and pit crew, excuse me, new fastest pit stop in F1 hitch 1.8 seconds. Wow. I mean, it's like a, I can't believe that. And I know Red Bull had the record at 1.82 seconds, but I, I just, I can't believe they get all that done in such a short amount of time and get the guys on their way. So kudos to you guys at McLaren for an unbelievable performance on the entire race weekend. Lawrence, you mentioned Mercedes, and, and Nate, I just want to hit this before we hit some other news. You know, Mercedes didn't have, obviously, the best weekend after starting P2 and P3 for the Grand Prix. As we know, the Mercedes drivers collided on the opening lap. Lewis Hamilton, of course, took full ownership of the mistake, and we saw the video of him going up to George Russell after the fact and apologizing. What did you make of the incident? Was it just unfortunate?
2: Yeah, yeah, I think it was. And I mean, I think Lewis was right to take responsibility because i think yeah, there's nowhere really russell could have gone in that situation. Actually quite interesting seeing him in the media pen during the race, you know, obviously comes through quite early um and he'd clearly been watching one of the replays that was on and you could see him kind of going oh yeah that you know that that was me. And i think the drivers it's easy to forget that when they're in the cockpit they they don't see all the replays that we see. Mm-hmm. Um yeah and it just with mclaren stuck so far back as well. I think russell alluded to this as well. It was a really blown opportunity from from mercedes, you know, they could have maybe Beating both the McLarens is 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 a big ask, but with again going back to the stints, I think as soon as you were out of sync with everyone in that, it was really difficult to get yourself back into it. Because normally, what you'd have done with Russell in that situation is you said, right, you're going to go, you're going to pit early for the um, after contact, and we'll try and go long, so we'll try and you know get out of sync with everybody else in the pit stop window. You couldn't really do that in the same way. So f- for Russell to come back to fourth position, I think showed it's... how much pace there was in the car um but yeah really gutting for mercedes and um i, I don't know I, I think people were people were cynical about it that you know the, the the mercedes camera guy just happened to be there when lewis went up to to russell after the race to say sorry but you could tell afterwards he was really sincere about you know not not just being at fault for the for the for the race but i think for for the instant but i think you really felt that lewis actually realized that it was a huge blown opportunity for the team and that was ultimately at his door and you don't really see that from lewis that often so um good i think the only person that was pleased to see that was perez because for everyone else it, you know it, it it made the rest le- the race less good it's kind of made that championship you know as lawrence mentioned it could have lewis really could have taken a chunk out of that that lead to perez so real shame to see um, but yeah, I think it was unfortunate. I think Lewis starting on the softer tire was a bit too optimistic around the outside. Russell mm-hmm. probably in Lewis's mind could have backed off. He did say that, you know, we, we talked about working together, but Russell also is right behind, you know, Verstappen. He doesn't want to collide with Verstappen. So it's one of those things where we're talking about it now and the time we've talked about it, they could have replayed that incident eight times over, you know, it, it happens so fast. So, um, yeah, probably, if you're apportioning blame, probably 60-40 to Lewis, but racing incident with one guy, probably just slightly more at fault than the other, I think.
0: And worth noting that for Mercedes, since Signs was unable to race on Sunday, Lewis getting knocked out of lap one, they were still able to outscore Ferrari and Charles Leclerc, which certainly was important. But as you mentioned, Nate, just a huge opportunity missed uh, by the collision there and the opening lap. I want to add a couple other pieces of news before we step away. Yeah. Uh, the FIA and F1 have been known to uh, butt heads in the past uh, because FIA boss, I don't say because, but this is a separate statement that I'm making. FIA boss uh, Ben Salim has been outspoken and vocal about his visions for the sport. And in Qatar, he had mentioned that he wants to see more F1 teams on the grid and fewer races. On the calendar, the exact quote is, if you say, what is my dream? It is to fill up the 12 slots and to have one US team from an OEM, so a car manufacturer and a PU, power unit, and a driver from their driving, and then go to China and ask for the same thing and do it. Uh, This has obviously been a big talking point the last two weeks because the FIA approved Andretti's bid into Formula One, but obviously there's still many more hoops that they've got to jump through. Lawrence, I'll start with you. What did you make of Vince salam's comments over the weekend?
1: Yeah, it's very targeted, isn't it? Because um, the more F1 teams means that F1's revenue gets split between more teams. Fewer races uh, means there's less opportunities to charge big race sanctioning fees, and therefore their income is reduced as well. So it's like the two things that <laughs> F1 absolutely does not want, yet I do kind of agreed i I think you know um Mm. f1 would probably be a lot more fun to watch i think if you had more teams and at the moment i think we've got so many races some of which are in you know places where the racing isn't actually that fantastic and there's not much of a history of any kind of motorsport, fandom or culture or, or anything. Uh and therefore I, I would quite like to see an 18 race calendar uh like it used to be. I think it'd be more focused. I think each race would count for more. Um I think, you know, championships um would uh would either be more exciting when uh w- when you've got two drivers going for it, you wouldn't have this big kind of period where you lose the thread of of the battle midway through. And then if one team is dominating, at least you get it over and done with a little bit a little bit quicker. So um so you know, I I actually kind of agree. I can't help but think, you know, yes, uh, in in my perfect Formula One, there would be twelve teams and and fewer races. But if you look at the financial realities of Formula One, um, you know, we, we had this big argument. Uh, a lot of it was going on in Qatar and team principals' press conferences and so on. Uh, that you know it it, it are we yet at a stage where the f1 ecosystem the amount of money within f1 despite its recent growth and everything else can support more than 10 teams or are we actually still a little bit of a balancing act with some of the teams uh james fowles the team principal at williams pointed to the fact that williams is still racking up huge losses because uh partly because it is investing in in its in its future but um also because you know we're not yet at this stage where Um, the F1 pie of money is big enough uh, to make sure that everyone is making a profit. It's still often the very top teams, um, you know, who are bringing in stuff uh, and and are able to easily bring in sponsorship and prize money to cover the cost cap. And then also get all, you know, they've already got all their expenditure paid for on, uh, on new capital on, on, of their factory therefore they don't need to invest huge amounts of money there's still lots of teams doing the catching up and so if you add another two in there then you you know that money is getting spread wider if you take away two races and you knock i don't know i mean potentially if you knock two middle eastern races off f1's balance sheet you're probably going to decrease the amount of money they're bringing in each year by 100 120 million you know dollars massive uh so uh, I, I think it's a very pointed comment uh and um and, and clearly uh w- w- was meant as a bit of a a firecracker just to to increase the pressure on Formula One to make a decision on Andretti. And of course, uh, the FIA is very keen for Andretti to join and and F1 still seems pretty lukewarm about it.
0: It was also interesting, he said uh, he likened the governing body's position uh, as a landlord. He said, we are not a service provider. We own the championship, we leased it, we are the landlord. So that has to be respected also. My intention was never to embarrass or to put someone in a corner, Liberty, Liberty Media, or FOM, Formula One Management. I am here for the spirit of the sport. Nate, do you agree with Ben Soleim?
2: I mean, I agree that the landlord, definitely. Um, I mean, that is that is that is, you know, if you actually look at the way it, you know, the whole the whole um structure. The structure is, it that is that is basically true. But I think there is a question in Formula One about why Ben Sullium and the FIA picked now to have the Andretti, the Andretti bid. I think that obviously Formula One's making, you know, it's in a very, very good place at the moment. But I think that that decision alone was seen as quite antagonistic, you know, at the start of the year to open that tender up. So I don't know. I mean, I I feel like I, I completely agree with Lawrence. I mean, back in the day when you had more teams, it, it that those were kind of the, you know, the glory days you look at now when it comes to the size of the grid. So I think ultimately it is a better thing and i think one of the things that was really interesting just to to kind of tie that question in with with the andretti situation as well the prevailing feeling i got from everybody in qatar is unless you are part of a team nobody can really understand why formula 1 teams don't see the benefit of something like andretti coming in because yes in the short term you do lose the money but if you're if 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 what you're if the product is getting better and better then down the line, it's getting better as well. And I was in a, a, a small media session with Ben Salim on the Saturday, just before the sprint race, um, where amusingly he said, I really hope Max doesn't win it today because I want him to win it at the Grand Prix. Uh, didn't have time to write the story because the sprint race literally started as we left. So it would have, it maybe would have been a, maybe a, a fun one. But I think he does see it as everything that the FIA is doing with new teams, et cetera, is for the for the betterment of the sport. And I think that's where it's quite an interesting situation at the moment, because I don't think teams see it in the same way. I think that they actually, you get the impression that some of the teams find Ben Suleim to be, a, you know, just a bit frustrating, a bit of a nuisance because, you know, he, he, I mean, he definitely has a certain way of going about doing things. You know, he's, you know, he's very, for, you know, even, even in this media session that we had with him, he's very blunt, very direct. Mm-hmm. He can be a bit confrontational as well. And I think that, I don't know. I think, I think some of them, maybe wonder how Jean Todt would have handled this whole situation if he'd still been in charge. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's a it's an open question. I know I haven't answered your question directly, Casey. It's mainly because I don't know if it is purely for the betterment of Formula One. Um, but he kept pointing out. He said that you know, in, in terms of Andretti, the FIA doesn't make more money or less money if Andretti is or isn't in. You know, it. He kept saying, you know, when we announced that, the share price went up of Formula One. So he definitely feels that the FIA is trying to put Formula One in a in a beneficial position, um, but yeah, I, I think that this this now is really the the fascinating the, you know the big talking point for the next few months because I think Formula One's decision is really going to shape how politically things look in Formula One for a long time in terms of with the FIA. You know, if you turn it down, it you know you can effectively I think you can turn around and say, well, are these teams now ten franchises rather than teams? Are they locked in? Is the only way into Formula One now? You've got to buy one of these existing franchises or, you know, sorry, you know, we're not letting anyone in because they all keep saying we're well, down the line. We want to let somebody in. But there's always the going to be. There's, exactly. There's always going to be someone who's losing money. There's always going to be someone saying, well, look, this isn't great for us right now. So, yeah, it's a really it feels a bit like a pressure cooker at the moment. And um, I do think at some point we're going to have it's going to come to ahead at some point you know i don't know whether it will be a massive fallout but there's going to be some moment when formula one has to kind of confront this um and the fia i think i was just waiting i don't know whether they're waiting for formula one to make the wrong decision but i think that they're there like well we've put them in this position now and it's all on them which i think is a position formula One doesn't really like to be in
0: did you have something to add Lawrence?
2: Well, yeah, I
1: think we kind of know what Jean-Todd would have done, uh, the previous FI president, because he didn't do this. That's, he had, he he had that's the true. That's true. To, yeah. There's no point where the FI couldn't have opened the tender to, uh, to 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 new teams coming in. And it's the fact that MBS seemed to do this unilaterally. So he, he did it mm. w- without really um, kind of agreeing with F1 that it was a good idea. So uh, whereas Todd would, would be... Um, you know he, he'd work alongside F1 and the teams, and he was very kind of conflict averse. Whereas I feel like uh, Mohammed Ben Salem came in, and, and part of what he wanted to do now, now what he says, uh, officially, or, or what the FIA kind of say is that look, it's it's you know that they're, they're trying to increase uh, participation in the sport throughout. You know, that includes Formula One, that was part of his manifesto coming in uh, as FIA president, but I think it was also a reminder to Formula One that you know they are the uh, the landlords of, of of formula 1 i mean technically that is correct it is the FIA formula 1 world championship and uh and the commercial rights are on uh, on lease to uh, Liberty Media, you know, it's a very long lease, but they, they are on on lease them. So, um, so I, I think it was a reminder of that and a reminder of the power of it because it wasn't that long ago, and you know, it still gets whispered every now and again in, in the Formula One paddock that do we need the FIA? You know, could F one bring in all of all of the regulatory thing and and, and do it itself? And I think uh, this was, you know, it was very much a power move to make sure that everyone was aware that. The FIA uh, still still exists, in 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 their opinion, and I, I kind of you know I, I think it's right. Um, are trying to make the sport a better place, and if they believe the sport would be a better place with more participation, American brand like Andretti in it, then uh, you know th- then that's certainly um, what what they've tried to do, and that's their opinion. So um, I, I think it is there is very much a power play um, you know uh, going on, and uh, comments like the one that uh, Mohammed made at the weekend, or you know, there's been several, and um, I think are all part of that as well.
0: Champions, chips, champions. What do I want to say? Championships have been won, but the drama still continues. I mean, this is the sport that just keeps on giving and giving and giving. There's never a dull moment. Speaking of never dull moments, we're going to Austin, gentlemen. When do you get in next week?
2: Monday. Tuesday next from week. Me. For me. Oh. Monday,
0: then Tuesday, then Wednesday. We will see you in person on Unlapped. As always, I appreciate your all's time, your analysis, and we will be back with more on the ground in Austin, Texas. Enjoy